Anyone here know Latin? Anybody speak Latin? No, no Latin speakers here today? Well, there's a Latin phrase that I want us to see. Go ahead and put it up on the screen. I did not take Latin in college. I took Greek and I took Hebrew and I took Spanish in high school, of which I know none, none. I know none, none. Uh, Perquito? No, none, none. But I never took Latin. But I know this Latin phrase. Do you see what it says? Anybody know what this says? Uh, let's go ahead and see if we can pronounce it together. Ignorantia juris non excusitus. Okay, what, is, what do you think that means? Ignorance. Oh, did somebody say ignorance is bliss? No, that's not what this is saying. How many of you have ever heard that one before? Ignorance is bliss. Have you ever heard this one, right? This is the opposite of that. In fact, ignorance is not bliss. To be ignorant is to be ignorant. To not know something that you need to know is terrible for your life. Knowledge is a wonderful gift from God. And to be ignorant of something can be really damaging to you. In fact, that's what this Latin phrase says. Ignorance is no excuse. Ignorance is no excuse. It's a phrase, a Latin phrase that's used in the legal setting. In fact, this is the legal principle that a person unaware of the law is still liable for violating the law. Let me say it again. The legal principle that a person unaware of the law is still liable when breaking the law. Does that make sense? Like, you ever get pulled over by one of our friendly police officers? I have. On multiple occasions. They pull over by one of our friendly police officers and they pull you over and they, say, they walk up and... And they say, well, you know what you've been doing? That's a trick question. Because maybe multiple things, you know, what am I going to tell you? And they say, why did I pull you over? And it never works to say, well, I didn't know. I didn't know that going 95 miles an hour in the school zone was wrong. I didn't know. I didn't see the sign. You know what they're going to say? Here's your ticket, right? I don't care. Officer, I didn't know. I'm in my neighbor's house and I was stealing their stuff, but I didn't know it was against the law. I didn't know their stuff did not belong to me. I didn't know. You're standing in the airport in security and TSA pulls you aside. You say, I didn't know. I wasn't supposed to bring my firearm in my backpack. I didn't know. Well, guess what? Now you're going to jail. Here's the point. Even if you don't know the law, you're responsible for the law. A, a, a brief a brief foreshadowing of the end of my sermon. Hear me. You might be here today and not know any of the law of God and think to yourself, well, because I'm not religious, if I stand before God one day, I'll just tell him I didn't know any of this and God will just let you into heaven. Friend, just because you're ignorant of the law doesn't mean God doesn't count you liable for the law. So if you've broken the law, what are you going to do? We'll get to that at the end of the sermon. So it's true then, what you don't know can hurt you. Maybe the grasshopper didn't know that winter was coming, like it comes every year. Maybe the grasshopper didn't know. Here's the point, what you don't know can hurt you. I'm gonna say it again, because that's the main point of the sermon. What you don't know can hurt you. The reason why there are many hurting people in our society today is because at some point in their life they were never taught the four words of wealth building. T 
Today, I'm only going to be speaking about wealth as it relates to what the Bible says. Not every subject can I cover in every sermon. Today, I want to talk specifically about wealth building. Especially, I see a lot of young people, a lot of young adults in their 20s up here in the front. This is really good. You've got to learn these principles right now. Now, hear this. What does the Bible say? There are four unknown words to today's society, the first of which is diligence. The second is longevity. The third is frugality. The fourth is preparedness. I'm going to say them again, then I want you to say them with me. Diligence, longevity, frugality, preparedness. I want you to say them with me. Diligence, longevity longevity, frugality, preparedness. Say it again. Diligence, longevity, frugality, preparedness. The first one I want to talk about is diligence. Say it with me. Diligence. Diligence. Say it again. Say it again. Diligence. Diligence. Diligence means work hard. And if you work hard, you get ahead. Work hard, get ahead. Say it with me. Work hard, get ahead. Say it again. Work hard, get ahead. A lot of people don't believe that principle today. In fact, There's an entire generation being brainwashed today that the game is stacked against you that you cannot get ahead no matter who you are. And for some reason, the society we're living in is attempting to convince young adults today that they can't get ahead no matter how hard they try. And so they create in you a perpetual victim mentality. The only ones who rise above this victim mentality are the ones who learn the truths. Now, you can't go to another segment of society to learn this truth. Oh, I'll just go to these people. They'll tell me. Instead, you have to break yourself outside of this society and go to ancient principles that have lasted for thousands of years, like the Bible. 3,000 years ago, we see this truth in in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 29. Do you see a man diligent at his business? It's a good question. Here, here's a question for you before we answer that one. Here's a question for you. Does anybody remember in the Bible where the Bible says you have to love your job? Where, where is that? Somebody raise your hand and tell me. You remember that passage? Where's the passage? Somebody, I want, I'm looking. Where's the Bible say you gotta love your job? If you don't love your job, find a new job. Where's that? I forget. Is it, is it in the, oh, it's not in the Bible. Listen to me. The Bible never says you gotta love your job. The Bible says you gotta do your job. You got to do your job. See a man who is, excels in his business, he will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Diligence, working hard, doing well at what you specifically do. A message for my younger friends, hear me. You gotta stop this endless search for the perfect job. Every two years, jumping to this opportunity and that opportunity, and maybe this will make me happy and that'll The job is not there to make you happy. You understand? The job is there so you can get money and survive. And the longer you're there getting money and surviving, then suddenly you have wealth and you can be happy outside of work. That's how it works. Chasing a rainbow here, chasing an opportunity there. Instead of trying to find a job that brings you joy, why don't you try finding joy in the job you've been given? Which you can. Listen, you can find joy in any job. You can find beautiful things in any place. The problem is not the job or the people around you, the problem is here 
and the way you view your job. And if we don't change our mindset upon this, if you don't, not, not we, if you don't, what's gonna happen in your life is you're gonna be in a perpetual state of inconvenience, a perpetual, a perpetual state of uh, inability to stay in one location, stay in one job, be able to get ahead. There's no perfect job. Take it from somebody who does. Not because I've had every job, but because I, I spend time with everybody from different occupations. I have friends, members of this church who are pilots. Wouldn't it be cool to be a pilot? Get in the airplane, fly somewhere, and we think about, we always romanticize the cool things of every job and don't think about the labor of every job. I know, I know, I know doctors, physicians who go to this church that are Christians. Every job's a job. I know attorneys, lawyers who go to this church are Christians. I know that's hard to believe. I know that's really hard to believe, right? <laughs> but it's true. Some people say uh, lawyers don't have ethics. They do, they do. They just have different ethics than everybody else. You see, that's, that's how, I'm kidding, okay. I literally had an attorney come up to me after the service, uh, the first service, and um, he's suing me now, so that's good, that's fun. <laughs> that's really nice. I know people from all walks of life, and you know what it comes down to? Here's the reality. A job is a job is a job. A job is a job. There are great things about every job if you can look at it and focus on it. There's also things that are laborious about every job. It's hard work to work. Why is that the case? For that, you have to go back to our Christian theology that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three, and it tells us that one of the curses upon man is the fact that when we work, it's labor. It's hard, it's not easy. Do you love your job, pastor? I love my job, and I hate my job, depending on what aspect of my job I'm focused on that day. It's labor. It's work, but when you stay and you keep working and you work hard, you get ahead. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse four says, the soul of the sluggard desires. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse four, I think it'll be on the screen, there it is. The soul of the sluggard desires and has nothing. What does that mean? It's not that lazy people don't want stuff. You understand, if you decide, and you can, you can have a choice of paths in your life. One path is hard work, the other is laziness. You can choose freely, because you have a free will, that's your life, you can choose the path of laziness. But please don't think if you get on the path of, path of laziness, suddenly you don't want things. You still want things, you just don't have things. You say, well maybe other people will give me things. Do you really wanna spend the rest of your life hoping that other people will be charitable to you? Wouldn't you rather live your life being the person who is charitable to others rather than hoping maybe some politician or maybe some religious figure or maybe some relative might be charitable to you? We work hard and the sluggard still wants things, yet they'll have nothing. But the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. This is what the Bible says. By the way, to be made rich from hard work is not a curse. The Bible does not say here, here the rich man, what an evil person. It says the soul of the rich man is made rich because of the hard work of his life. This is what the scripture says. And by the way, by the way, this doesn't mean everybody that's rich had become rich because of their own hard work. There is what's called generational wealth. I'm gonna be talking about generational wealth as a good thing and, and, the, and the dangers of generational wealth. I think that's in the third sermon uh, coming up. You don't wanna miss that. Diligence, hard work. I was 18 years old, 18, and I was at college for the first time, moved to Florida for college, and, and I got a job because my parents told me I had to, 
and uh, I got a job at the grounds department for the college. And what that meant was every morning, I got to wake up at six o'clock, get to the grounds department, get ready to clock in. Some days I worked early mornings. Some days I worked in the afternoons after school. One o'clock, two o'clock, I'd get out of classes. I'd rush over to the grounds department, get changed into all my gear, and I'd go out. I had a very cool job, very prestigious job. I got to pull weeds out of flower bins. That's, that's what I did all day long for months. It was so cool. It was really exciting. It was really nice. It was a lot of fun. Oh, but I got paid well, $5.25 an hour. It was, it was, you laughed at that. You laugh at my pay. You laughed at my pay. That's a, too much of a laugh for that joke. And there I was, $5.20 every single day. And then this, the day would end. Grounds department ended at 5 p.m. every day. And so what we would do is, uh, I remember the first day of work, they said, okay, it's 4.30, let's jump in. We've got to get inside of our golf carts and drive all the way back to the grounds department to clock out. So we did. Uh, by the time we got to the grounds department, everybody, everybody got rid, put all their stuff away in their, their cabinets and whatever it might be, and we had our cards, and we scanned in and out with the same system. And when I arrived, it was about 4.45, and I noticed there was about 15 guys all lined up at the scan-out place where you scanned out for the day. All of them just lined up there. And I, and I remember asking one of the guys, I'm like, what are we doing? They said, oh, they gotta, they're scanning out from work. I'm like, why don't they scan out? They said, well, because we're not supposed to until 5 o'clock. I said, well, it's like 15 minutes away. Have you ever had one of those moments where you don't mean to, but you get extremely judgmental inside of your heart? That's exactly what I did. I started counting up how many people times 15 minutes, and I began to realize how many hours, man hours, are being wasted sitting here for 15 minutes. And I started getting disgusted. I started saying, how dare these guys, these lazy guys, waiting to clock out 15 minutes? And I thought, that, well, we could do something around here. Just made me so mad that day. The next day, saw the same thing, still sick to my stomach, these people. Three days later, same thing, just these people. Have you ever noticed that laziness is is catchy. It's like a cancer. It can spread. By the end of the week, I was standing in line with everybody else, you know, ready to clock out <laughs> 15 minutes early. About a year before, during the summertime, I was working at a camp in Arizona. It was a Christian summer camp where kids came from all over and, and I, had a, I had a really cool job. I gotta be the dishwasher, which means all the filthy dishes from the camp would come through and I'd wash the dishes and I'd load them up in a rack and I'd put them in the big Hobart, put the thing down and bring them out. Ever been in one of these like uh, dishwashing places, like a big dishwashing place like that, commercial? Okay, so you know exactly what I'm talking, that was my job. And I, I really, really, I really hated my job. And sometimes they pulled me out temporarily because sometimes they let me go into the, uh, the dining hall, and uh, one day I was able to do this. Now, my supervisor was my brother, Matthew. He was the guy actually in charge, two years older than me, and he pulled me out, which was I was really thankful for. He pulled me out that day, and he said, okay, you're going to be in charge of the water and the Kool-Aid. Just make sure the water stays high and the Kool-Aid stays high. That's your big job. Make sure there's ice in it. I said, my job is what? He said, the water and the Kool-Aid. What was my job? I'll ask it again. What was my job? That was all my job, just take care of the water and the Kool-Aid. That's all I was supposed to do. My brother said, take care of the water and the Kool-Aid. I didn't have to do any dishes, just take care of the water and the Kool-Aid. What was my job? Water and the Kool-Aid, that's it. So there I was, taking care of the water and the Kool-Aid. I don't know what happened, something happened. Somebody screamed, something happened on the other side of the dining hall, and somebody spilt something all over. Next thing I know, I'm what's my job? Water, water and the Kool-Aid. Somebody came up to me, my brother, he had one of those little vacuum sweepers. He said, somebody spill, go clean it up. And I looked at him and I said, that's not my job. 
that's not my job. Now, maybe you've ever said this phrase to somebody else. By the way, if you've ever said that to somebody else, and if you think that a lot at work, let me tell you something. Okay, here it is. Nobody likes working with you. (laughs) See, I'm smiling, so you can't be mad. But really, nobody likes working with you. Nobody does. Because your job is all about you and what you get out of it, and you're not going to do anything that's not your job. Nobody likes working with you. I learned that that day. I said, that's not my job. Now, because my brother, oh, but I feel this sense that somebody might be offended. Listen to me. I love you. I was taught this at 16, 17. Maybe you were not taught this until today. It offended me when I learned it too. Let me tell you what happened to me. My brother, because he was my supervisor, he took me outside, and because he was, my supervisor was my brother, he had the, um, the ability to beat me up, right? <laughs> he took me outside. I'll never forget. He pointed at me. He said, you never say those words again in your life. How dare you say that's not my job? Your job is to do what I tell you to do. (laughs) There are two types of people. One type of person who will fight that attitude the rest of your life and you'll remain poor. You say, not me, I'll start my own business. You start your own business, you'll have 100 bosses. They're called customers. That's the way it works. Finally, I was convicted about three to four weeks into this job as a groundskeeper. It bothered me, man, because I kept thinking about my brother saying, do your job, work hard, get ahead. That's not my job, don't say that. So I stopped standing at that line and I start saying, you know, is there anything we can do around here for 15 minutes to help clean up the grounds department and then we can clock out. Talk to the supervisor about it, he okayed it, we start doing that. And within a couple months I had been promoted several times there and then promoted completely out of that department to the job I really wanted on campus. Now, I don't say that to celebrate me, I say that to say to our young adults in this room or those who are really struggling with this concept, yeah, it just doesn't work. I'm telling you that's what the Bible teaches and it does work. Number one, diligence. What's the first one? Say it. Do I arrive early? Do I stay late? Do I serve others? Do I look for opportunities to advance the company, not just myself? Diligence. Number two. Does anybody remember what the second one was? Oh, it's on the screen. You cheated. It's on the screen. Longevity. Longevity. Say it with me. Longevity. Okay, longevity. The ability to stay in one place, continuing to do one thing. This is a word of the wealth builder. The Bible says in verse 24 of chapter 12 of Proverbs, it says, the hand of the diligent shall rule, but the slothful will be put to forced labor. The hand of the diligent shall rule. That is, the hard worker is gonna be put in charge, and the lazy person is gonna be put at the bottom, constantly, constantly. You can cross any culture, you can go to any place, this is how it works, constantly. Constantly, constantly. You say, well, Pastor Josh, I've been working really hard for the last two weeks. How do you, I mean, come on, I've really put my nose to the grindstone for almost a month now. As a pastor, I I teach about prayer. And when I talk about prayer, sometimes people say, man, Pastor, I've been praying for something for for like seven days in a row. 
To which I want to respond, really, that long? Seven days. The Bible says pray without ceasing. We give up too easy because we live in the age of the microwave. You understand? Listen, listen to me, guys. You understand what I'm saying? There's some people out here, I love every single one, but there's some people that might be in their 40s and 50s and they're rolling their eyes at this. You, don't, you hear what I'm trying to say. Amen. We want it to come easy, we want it to come now. I've been working hard, why don't I to get a promotion? I've been here for three months. This, this, this attitude of entitlement. I don't understand my car, the car my father drives, I should be driving the same car. What are you talking about? He's been working 25 years for that car. Entitlement. The hand of the diligent shall rule and the slothful will be put to forced labor. Here's the word we need to understand when we read a verse like this. Here's the word. Eventually, this is what happens. It takes time. Just like it takes time through prayer, consistency in prayer, endurance in prayer, just take it like it takes time with marriage, it takes time and endurance in marriage to get the marriage where you want it to be, just like it takes time in parenting and where you want your children to get, it takes time, so it takes time as it relates to this concept. We're talking about hard work, longevity. Some never get ahead because they quit way too early. Hard work is not simply a commitment to energy, hard work is a commitment to longevity. Let me say that again because it's really key for some of us in this room. Hard work is not just a commitment to energy. I'm gonna really do a hard work today and this week. Long work is a, a hard work is a commitment to longevity. I'm gonna continue to work hard year after year after year after year after decade after decade. Sometimes in obscurity. Sometimes when nobody knows my name. Sometimes I'm going to stay at this position because I know if I jump to that next opportunity down the road, it's going to destroy all that I've put into this job. This is where we have to understand the, the, the myth of the overnight success. You've been working hard for five years at a job and the, and the, 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 the increase in pay is coming slow and the benefits are coming slow, but you're starting to put your time in, you're starting to earn a position there, and then somebody tells you about this awesome next big opportunity, and somebody just became an overnight success, and all you gotta do is jump shipping, then you'll be an overnight success. Anybody who's an overnight success, quote unquote, has been there for a decade doing exactly what they've been doing every night when nobody knew their name. I'm not the one, you, you Google it. Google the myth of the overnight success. You'll, you'll read more articles than you'll wanna read. The business world does understand this. In fact, Reed Hoffman, co-founder of LinkedIn, talks about this as the valley of death. The valley of death is when you get to a place in your career where you're just done. You're done. I'm done working with these people. I'm done with this hard work. I'm done. I got to get out of here. It can't happen any further. And he says this. He says, in that moment, there are three things you need to keep in mind. And if you take notes quick, and those who are following along, Check this out. He says, number one, you have to embrace the reality and make a plan. You have to embrace how bad the work situation is and make a plan to make it better. Don't look for the escape hatch. Make a plan to make your situation better than it is now. He said, number two, don't overreact. Overreact means often pull the escape hatch and get out of there. Don't overreact, stay. Number three, remember character is forged in hardship. What's happening now in the middle of the difficulty is that you are becoming a stronger man. You're becoming a more independent woman. Don't get out of the hardship. 
grow stronger through the hardship. Here's the question I want you to wrestle with. Am I committed to this career long term? If the answer is no, then immediately start deciding what career you want, get in it, and don't leave it for 30 years. Stay, stay, stay. Do you know why a lot of churches don't succeed? Say, well, you know, they don't have pastors as cool as you. Thank you. (laughs) Did you know that the average tenure of a pastor is three years? Do you know the average tenure of a youth pastor is 18 months? They come and they go. And they wonder why they don't have permanent impact in people's lives. See, that's the wealth of of a minister, to know there's actual real life change happening. Do you know the great benefit of being in one place for Heather and I, we've been here now almost 16 years, is that we see real life change. That's what speaks to us. That doesn't happen overnight. It takes time, it takes longevity, it takes a commitment to stay at it. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse four says, he becomes poor who deals with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Look at it again, it should be on the screen. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse four, he becomes poor who deals with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. According to this, it says, if you are lazy with your hands, you will be poor. If you work hard with your hands, if you work hard with your mind, it can be extenuated to this, you, you, you will be wealthy. Now, I woke up with a headache, not today, when I got the job that I really wanted at college. Remember I told you I got promoted again? I was really not feeling well. Now, I'd been working at this new job for about, about two months, two, three months. And I woke up and I was not feeling well. Do you, know, do you know how I knew I had a headache? It's because when I woke up, my head was aching. <laughs> like here and here. And like it was hurting. And I woke up, I'm like, oh man, I don't want to wake up. Have you ever, have, has this happened to any of you? I don't know if this, have you ever had to, your alarm goes off? And you wake up and you're like, I don't want to wake up. Has that ever happened to any of you before? Yeah. Oh, it has? A couple of you? Some of you don't know what it's like. One more time. Has that ever happened? You wake up and you're like, oh, I don't want to wake up. Has that ever happened to any of you? It happens. It ha- oh, my, look around. It happens to all of us. I said, man, I don't want to wake up. And I had a headache. And I looked over my alarm clock and I did not press snooze. I just unplugged it. I just unplugged it, you know. <laughs> and I went to lay down again. And right before the beautiful warmth embrace of slumber took me, I I remember my mind saying to me in the voice of my brother, call your supervisor, you know? And so I I picked up the phone, I called my supervisor. His name is Mr. Wilkening, I'll never forget. I said, hey, Mr. Wilkening, Mr. Wilkening, hello? He says, yes, hello, what, what? I said, I'm not feeling well today. His reply, and? I said, well, I'm not feeling well, so I won't be able to make it today. He said, well, okay, what's wrong? Well, I've got a headache. That's what he said to me. That's what he said. He said, oh, man, I'm really sorry to hear that. I'll see you at 745. (laughs) I thought, I guess I got to go. You know, I got up and I got ready. It was crazy. As I got ready and I got a shower and stuff, my headache started to dissipate. I started feeling a little bit better. This guy walked. I still had it. It still felt bad. Like, it didn't feel good, but I went in. I did my job, and as I did my job, after an hour or two, there was a slow spot in the day, and he pulled me aside, and he said this to me. He said, uh, Josh, he said, one thing that I'm here to teach you is this. 
He said, you need to learn to work through the pain because people are counting on you. Now, you might be here today and think that this is some sort of a cover for talking about coronavirus. That has nothing to do with coronavirus. If you have coronavirus, please stay home and don't touch me. If you don't, if you don't feel well, you think you got the Rona, look, stay home for a year. Do whatever you want to do. Stay home for three years, quit your job, build a bunker, get in a coffin, bury yourself. Whatever you need to do to protect yourself from the world, I'm not talking about coronavirus. I'm talking about the general principle that a lot of people are too lazy to get the job done when it counts. That's true. And by the way, young man, young, young lady, if you decide to be the opposite of that, you will shine brightly in a very dark world. And then you'll become wealthy, and then you'll have lots of people look at you when you're in your 40s and 50s and say, they're so lucky! <laughs> and you'll know. You'll know. You see, if you can't be trusted to get the job done, very few will ever give you a job to do. This is why people lose their jobs, and this is why businesses go out of business, because they can't be trusted to get the job done. Third word of the wealthy. Third word of the wealth builder, frugality. Say frugality. frugality. This one was really hard for Americans to say. Say it again, frugality. Frugality, the ability to say, no, I will not buy that. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 17. He who loves pleasure will be a poor man, and he who loves wine and oil will not be rich. I do not like this verse. I do not like this verse. Here's why I do not like this verse, because I like pleasure. Anybody here like pleasure? Raise your hand if you like pleasure. How many of you hate pleasure? You do not like things that feel good. Anybody hate pleasure? Of course not, because that would mean you're a sociopath. We love pleasure. So what is this verse saying? He's saying, if we, the person who's only seeking after pleasure constantly will constantly be poor because they spend up everything they have. Loving oil and wine, this means loving rich foods. Let me speak to this generation. I love this younger generation. You've got a powerful work ethic, but here's one of the things we're doing is we're spending our entirety of our, 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 our entire paychecks eating out constantly because we want better food, and then we look at our bank account, and we were able to eat at Chipotle more than anybody else, but we've got zero in savings. How about you say no to the guacamole and put $3 in your savings account? Can I get an amen? amen. I'm trying to help you, I'm trying to help you, and I'm, I'm not telling you things I haven't done. We do these things, my family and I, we've been working at these things. When celebrating my father, who did not have a lot of money, and the reason they did not have a lot of money, to be blunt, is because they had no general, generational wealth coming into their family. Some of you know exactly what that me, that's like. Generational wealth is a principle I'm going to be talking about in the third sermon. It means my father and mother, when they started out, they didn't have any help from their parents. They didn't have any inheritance to be dealing with. They had nothing. They had nothing. They were starting out with nothing. No, no generational wealth. But they worked hard and they got ahead. They saved, they invested, they did what was right. They started making a little progress. And when we celebrated at our family, what my dad liked to do is go down to Albertsons and we would buy ribeye steaks, baked potatoes, corn on the cob, and we would go to the deli section and get that, um, how many of you know the seafood imitation crab meat salad? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what that is? That stuff is good. 
Oh, it's so good. I, it reminds me of my family childhood growing up because this is what we would celebrate with. And uh, it, it, was, it was probably 16, 17 years old where a family in our church invited us to go out to dinner at a buffet. And we were at a buffet with crab legs. And I remember thinking, oh, I have crab all the time when we have birthday parties and stuff. And uh, it's not, it's not crab. Then I had crab legs and I opened up the crab legs and there was crab meat inside. And I'm like, it looks a little different, smells a little different, it tastes, it tastes, I mean, it, it ta- it's, it's like heaven. It's so good, it's really good. Like it's really, it's so it's buttery and it melts in your mouth. And, and I thought, oh, I can never go back. I never can go back. I remember st- sitting there at the buffet and I said to my dad, I said, dad, these are amazing. I said, when I grow up, I'm gonna have crab legs, crab legs and lobster every day. And I'll never forget what he said. He looked across the table and he said, I hope you do. I really hope you do. He said, just make sure you can afford to do so. I love every ounce of that statement. There's nothing wrong with the oil and the wine as long as you can afford to do so. Here's a way that a friend of mine says it. Dave Ramsey says it this way, act your wage. You ever see a a three-year-old, excuse me, you ever see a seven-year-old acting like a three-year-old? And you're like, oh, yuck, act your age. You ever see a 15-year-old acting like a seven-year-old? And you're like, come on, act your age. Here's what we need to do. We need to act our wage. Some of us are spending like we're making $70,000 a year and we're making $40,000 a year and it's getting you into trouble. It's hurting you. That's why you can't sleep at night. That's why you have anxiety. That's why you're worried about your bills. That's why you're worried about your future. Frugality, saying no, I will not buy those things. No, I will not. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 21, it says, there is treasure to be desired in the oil, and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but the foolish man squanders it up. Look at what it says, treasure to be desired. You say, I I see that house on the hill and I see it surrounded by a, a fence and I think there's treasure in there. You're right, there is treasure in there. And there's oil and and wealthy food in there. You're right, there is. And the reason it's in there and not in your home is because when we get something, we squander it, we spend it quickly. The moment we get a stimulus check, Gone. The moment we get our tax rebate, gone. Where's your savings account? Where is it that we put this stuff away? By the way, by the way, by the way, this is a very dangerous sermon for me to preach because there are some in our middle class American society that hate these principles and you're gonna hold it against me. But let me be very clear, I don't care. Here's why, because there's a five to 10% population of young people in this room that if they learn these principles, it's gonna help them the rest of their life. Frugality, you say that's not how rich people live, then you need to read about Warren Buffett. I read Warren Buffett's uh, autobiography, Snowball, years ago. It's an incredible book and it's an incredible man. You know, Warren Buffett eats the same breakfast every morning. One of the wealthiest men in the world. You know what he does? He drives his own car into the McDonald's drive-thru. He takes out of his little, his little cup tray, $3.17. Now it's been a couple years. So it's probably $3.74. He buys the same thing every morning, gives it to the man, the man gives him the thing. That's what he eats every morning, every morning, every morning, every morning. That's Warren Buffett. But some of us, there's not a day that goes by we don't spend $5 on a cup of coffee. And we're worried about where our rent is gonna come from. 
What I'm saying is, it's not a scam against you, it's the fact that you're not living by the principles of the wealthy. But some of us can change those habits now. Do you see what I'm saying? We can change those habits and change our future. Proverbs chapter 22, verse seven says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. See, we buy cars we can't afford. Listen to me. We buy cars we can't afford. We buy homes we can't afford because some banker is gonna finance us so that we can begin working for them as slaves. We go into payday cash places and they smile at us people who are working for very little themselves, as they give us money, then we have to pay 10% back, 20% back, 30% back. They're gouging the poor because we can't say no. We take vacations we can't afford. We become slaves to the credit card companies. So hear me, hear me. Budget, 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 budget. You say, Pastor, how could I do these things? My, my job is not just to preach the Bible, my job is to shepherd you into next steps. We have classes on this that we offer by people far smarter than I. They're called Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University and over the next few months, there's gonna be several of these classes taking place. They're gonna be here and you can join these classes and you can learn these principles and you can invest to take the class. Some of you say, I already know some of those principles. It's not about knowing, it's about doing, isn't it? That class environment allows you to have an accountability so that people are gonna ask you questions about your budget. I don't like being told what to do. And this is why we're in the trap that we're in. You see? These are the four words, and we'll be done. Here's my fourth word. My fourth word is preparedness. Preparedness. This is where the ant and the grasshopper comes in. And to the ant, you go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, be wise, which having no captain or overseer or ruler provides for her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O you sluggard? How long will you rise from your sleep, O little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep? So shall your poverty come as one that is a, prevail, a prowler and your need as an armed man. When it comes to being prepared, I ask two questions. Are you prepared for winter? Do you have a savings account? Do you have an emergency fund? Preparedness. Isn't it interesting, that Aesop fable? The grasshopper comes in, he's just been playing that entire time. Isn't that interesting? He's been playing all summer long, and he comes to them and expects the ants to take care of him. Hey, you've got extra food, take care of me. And in the story, in the story, the original story, the ants turn their back on him and say, enjoy your dance. Now, I remember growing up when I watched the, the cartoon, Anybody remember the cartoon? In the car How many of you remember the cartoon? The cartoon of this, the grasshopper is invited by these ants down into their den and they feed the, the grasshopper. Isn't that nice? That's really nice. They must have been Christian ants. <laughs> right? That's really nice. Do you know what happens in real life in nature? They do invite the grasshopper down into the ant den and then they eat the grasshopper. <laughs> this is how it works. <laughs> People should be charitable. Oh, absolutely people should be charitable. But would you like to be the person receiving or giving charity? That's the question. That's what today's sermon is about. Are you prepared for winter? Lastly, are you prepared for death? Oh, that's it, pastor. That's where I knew it would get all Bible and Jesus thumping. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Some of the smartest, wealthiest people in the world have not made arrangements past the coffin 
and they are fools. Fools. Utter fools. They spend their entire life preparing for the age of 65. They live for 12 and a half years, die, get buried in a box, and don't realize that eternity will then follow. Have you prepared for the afterlife? Matthew chapter 7, Jesus addresses this specifically himself. Jesus says, he says, not everyone that says unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, will have entrance into the kingdom of heaven. But Lord, they'll say to Jesus, we prophesied in your name and we did many, many works in your name and we cast out demons in your name and we went to church occasionally once a year in your name and then we watched it online for three years and and we did nice things for you, Jesus. Jesus, let me in. And Jesus will say, I'm sorry, I don't even know who you are. Because getting into heaven has nothing to do with your good works. It has everything to do with the good work that Christ did upon the cross. So the only way to prepare for the afterlife is not by doing better things here. The only way to prepare for the afterlife is by repenting of your sin and receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior now. To say, God in heaven, I'm a sinner who can't save himself. Would you forgive me of my sins? Jesus, I believe the moment you died on that cross, you were paying for my sins and the sins of the world, and I want to ask you to save me now. I believe that you were buried and rose from the grave, and I'm asking you to save my soul. And the Bible says the moment you do this, then you'll be saved, and your eternity will be provided for. That's what Christ says. So if you walk in and take 35 minutes of great principles about wealth building for this life, and you ignore the last, I love you, dear friend, but there is nothing more foolish than that. If you have prepared for the eternal afterlife, then what you ought to do is say, what are the principles for this life so that I can better, better understand finances in this world? Whichever is for you, I hope you'll pray about even now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's so practical and applicable even thousands of years as it, after it was written. I pray for myself and I pray for my friends that we will have learned these principles and follow them. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Before we go, I want to be brief, but I want to be clear. I don't know if you're here today and you do not know Christ as your Savior, but listen to me, my friend. If you're here today and you've never been born again, now is the moment of salvation. You can call upon Jesus Christ to ask him to save you even now. Right where you sit, would you repent of your sin and receive Christ as Savior? Maybe God has brought you here for this precise and exact moment. Would you call upon him and say this to Christ? Say, pray right now in your heart silently to God. Say, God, I'm not sure about my afterlife. Tell him, I'm worried. Jesus, I repent of my sin. Jesus, I receive you as my savior. I believe you died for my sins and I'm asking you to save me now. God in heaven, make me a Christian so that I can be ready to meet you one day. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed today to receive Christ as your Savior, we believe you are born again, and I would love to know that you made that decision. I won't point you out or embarrass you, but you say, Pastor Josh, pray for me. I've never prayed and asked Jesus to save me, but today I just did. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Let me see that, and I'll pray for you. Yes, God bless you. Amen. Yes, you put your hands down. This is what you need to do after the service, after the service. Would you make sure you have an opportunity of filling out that connection card? This way we can know about that decision. Or even better, you can email me this week. Email me this week 
and we will talk about this awesome decision that you made. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the chance you've given us to be here today. Bless us now as we leave this place with a renewed passion to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.